0: It's time for Lawyers for Jesus, a show about the dynamic and exciting interaction of faith and the law, featuring the attorneys from the law firm Malkin Baker in downtown Chicago. Malkin Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and for serving the people of faith. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Hello, welcome to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney and a partner at the law firm of Mauk & Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys who focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. To learn more about us, go to maukbaker.com. that's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call us at 312-726-1243. In recent years, the number one reason churches end up in court is because of child or youth sexual abuse allegations. Why is that happening? Today I'll be speaking with Matt Branagh, the editor for uh, Church Law and Tax, a ministry of Christianity Today, which serves as a practical resource for churches and clergies. I might add that I always look forward to the next edition coming out, and as a lawyer I read it uh, from cover to cover. Church law and tax provides comprehensive and easily accessible information on legal, uh, tax, financial, and risk management matters for churches and for religious organizations. Matt, I love what you're doing, and
1: welcome to our show. Well, Rich, thank you for having me. It's a real privilege to be here.
0: Let's start in, uh, you know what, Uh, before we get into the topic of of child sex abuse in the church and what we can do about it, Let's talk a little bit about uh, what you're doing at Church Law and Tax. Give us a little background so people know what this tremendous resource is.
1: You bet. Uh, so we're, we're, a, we're part of Christianity Today, and for those of your listeners that aren't familiar with Christianity Today, it's a global not-for-profit publishing ministry that was founded by Billy Graham in 1956. And Billy's vision was to serve local churches and pastors not only with news, but also resources. And so the Church Law and Tax Publishing Division that I'm a part of helps fulfill that calling through our publishing mission, which is to help local churches and church leaders address the legal, financial, tax, and risk management questions confronting them on a day-to-day basis.
0: So, it, in, and, and I'm very familiar with this because I use your resources, and it, it varies from everything. Um, it depends. It could be talking about how do you figure out salaries for pastors that remain within the IRS guidelines, or it could be uh, issues of contract and liability or hiring procedures for church. I mean, you guys are dealing with everything, and it's it's a very helpful uh, program. Let me ask you this. Uh, what would you say is one of the biggest areas you've been focusing on at Christianity Today of late?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And as you point out, we try to cover it through a variety of ways. We do articles through churchlawandtax.com, our website. We do webinars. We do Q&As, infographics, and a whole lot more uh, through the website. And then we have our our resources area, which does a a number of print and digital resources. And all that alludes to what you just said, which is the the whole gamut of – of topics that we cover, which um, can be related to compensation in one moment, it can be related to tax law in another, it can be related to charitable contributions, contracts, employment law, et cetera. And so uh, we do do try to cover the entire waterfront of issues that affect church leaders. And most recently, I think some of the biggest areas that we've tried to cover include uh, things like uh, uh, church finance, you know, healthy control, internal controls, and healthy financial principles for running a church well. In fact, we just released a new book called Church Finance that uh, delves into that topic very deeply. Uh, we also go into other areas uh, such as uh, information technology. We just released a new book called Church IT that deals with um, some of the different issues, re- whether risk management related or even even related to legal issues that come with IT. Um, we also have uh, uh, a book coming here, uh, coming out soon by, by Rich Hammer, uh, our senior editor and co-founder, uh, who's an attorney and, and uh, serves as the uh, legal counsel for one of the country's largest denominations. Uh, he has a new book coming out that deals with pastoral and church-related legal issues. So it, it really does run the gamut as far as the topics that we address and, and, and then certainly, as, uh, as is relevant to our conversation today, we've done a lot looking at the issue of sex abuse prevention in uh, both children and youth ministries in local churches around the country.
0: Well, tell me a little bit about uh, what that research looks like right now. What, what are you finding out? Uh, what is your word of advice uh, to pastor, to church staff, and those in the church?
1: Well, Rich, uh, when Rich Hammer co-founded the Church Law and Tax Publishing Ministry in the nineteen eighties, he unfortunately quickly identified sexual abuse in faith communities as a major threat, and uh, not only in terms of the health and well-being of children and youth, but also just to the health and strength of of local churches. And so. Um, what, what transpired from that point forward was a couple of different things. First, he helped create reducing the risk, which is one of our training programs for churches that helps with screening, selection, and supervision, um, of staff and volunteers who work with children. Uh, and then separately, Rich, I would say about 20 years ago, he began tracking every case he reviews each year regarding litigation that directly involves churches and religious organizations. And through that tracking, uh, he started to categorize the types of cases that um, you know, most, most frequently occurred and regrettably, with the exception of maybe one or two years, um, the top reason that churches and religious organizations were in court, based on his calculations, was due to an allegation of sex abuse.
0: You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker of the law firm of Malkin Baker. If you're just tuning in, make sure to visit malkbaker.com to hear the rest of this interview. You can also subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter and follow up on Facebook and Twitter for legal updates with a biblical perspective. Today, we're speaking with Matt Branagh of Christianity Today's Church Law and Tax, and we've been talking about the problem of sexual abuse, uh, particularly in the area of youth, uh, with churches. So he's identified, and that's uh, Richard Hammer, has identified uh, sexual abuse in the churches as one of the, the, or, as you said, the major issue uh, for churches in in terms of litigation. What can you do about it? And, and is there hope on the horizon for this?
1: Uh, we do think there is hope although it is a sizable problem, and it's one that obviously, in light of current events and news headlines, seems to be growing in size and scope. And I think that sometimes I can feel really overwhelming to a church leader who looks at the situation and tries to figure out what he or she can do in response. But a couple of observations I would make would include the following. One is that there needs to be sort of a cultural recognition within a local church that um, sex abuse can happen there. I think a lot of times we get caught up in the mentality that it can't happen in our midst because, well, for any number of reasons. One maybe being that hey, we know everybody, and that nobody here would ever do something like that, or, or maybe there's this sense that hey, we're maybe a smaller congregation, and so uh, w- nothing like that could it you know ever occur on our watch. And uh, unfortunately, those those assumptions prove false, and. So, culturally, a church needs to recognize it can happen here, and it can happen sometimes even without uh, necessarily being able to be detected right away. And so, there's, there's that issue. There's also this cultural concern that uh, emerges anytime there's speculation that something has happened or an allegation even arises. And there's this, maybe this fear that if word gets out, the church's reputation might be harmed or tarnished. And uh, unfortunately, what ends up happening is that can actually enable the problem to persist or grow. And even worse, if there is some type of uh, revelation later that this occurred and it becomes public, there will be this perception that there was a cover-up, and that will tarnish the reputation and witness of the church far more. Um, so culturally, there's a need to respond and say, this is a problem, we need to be proactive. And if there is an actual allegation that arises, we need to respond and we need to move forward in a way that's very intentional and transparent.
0: You know, you say that, I, I think of the scripture which says, that which is done in secret shall be shouted from the housetops. And I see over and over again, um, cover-ups or ignoring the problem, and eventually it comes out. It's just when there's darkness and when there's this ta- taking place, eventually it will come out, and and uh, when it does, uh, the consequences for having covered it up are are horrendous to the church in terms of division, in terms of uh, causing great scandal, and so I can't agree with you more. Uh, let's go back and, and just start out. Um, how should the church then act to take uh, child abuse seriously?
1: Well, it, it certainly begins with this idea of embracing a cultural mindset that recognizes the problem and and prioritizes responses to the problem. I think first and foremost, it's about um, setting good policies and planning and protocols that starts at the board level and, and with the senior pastor and saying, okay, culturally we recognize this, now we're going to put some measures in place that help us prevent this issue, or if the unthinkable happens, we can respond to it uh, proactively and aggressively. Uh, And then it continues from there with a training mindset that on a regular, standardized basis, there's training that's done for every person that engages the children and the youth in the congregation, Uh, and that's done on a recurring basis. Uh, and it's done in a very intentional way to show that everyone there understands what it means to work with children and how they need to engage children.
0: Coming up, we will talk further with Matt Branna, editor of Christianity Today's Church Law and Tax, about how the church should prevent and respond to sexual abuse. I'm Rich Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus.
1: Malcolm Baker is nationally known for representing churches and religious institutions and is providing you with a free resource to help your church stay protected under the law. This church legal checklist is designed to help your church identify and assess general risks under Illinois law and is revised yearly to keep your church up to date. Go to malkbaker.com slash legal to download your free copy of this easy to fill out 21 section resource that your church can review at monthly board meetings.
0: Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker, an attorney at the law firm of Mauk and Baker, a law firm based in Chicago, which serves churches, ministries, businesses, and individuals in their legal needs. If you missed the first part of this show and want to listen online, go to mauckbaker.com forward slash radio. Today, we're speaking with Matt Branagh, editor of Christianity Today's Church Law and Tax. We've been talking about one of the greatest problems in the church and that is the problem of of sexual abuse it's it's society wide but unfortunately it's also a part of the church um matt so let me bring you back to that question that uh, we left off of and let's get real practical here so i'm a small church and i don't have a lot of resources and it's hard to get volunteers uh in light of that what kind of recommendations do you have uh for a church to get involved in in really, really working on both prevention and then also a program in case something does happen?
1: Well, Rich, I think one of the first things a church needs to do, even if it's a small church with limited resources, is it still needs to acknowledge that it has a responsibility to be proactive regarding this issue. And so it starts with Um, talking to the board and to the the senior levels of leadership to say this needs to be a recognized issue and we need to be able to have some policies in place as a congregation that talk about what we would do in the event of an allegation, for instance, but also with respect to the screening, selection, and supervision of people that will work with children in the church. And then recognizing, as you have just pointed out, that churches struggle to get volunteers and they struggle to find the, the necessary person power to lead their children's and youth ministries, uh, they have to weigh what they can do and and also recognize that there may be some limitations, but nonetheless, they have to be able to establish at least a baseline of action. And so that starts with, I think, a few things that can be done, and this is not very resource intensive and it doesn't require a lot of people to do, uh, but it would just simply be interviewing those who are going to be a part of the ministry, um, asking them to complete a written application, um, asking them for institutional references, which means if they can talk about places where they've served previously that involved interacting with children or youth, that they would provide the names and numbers of those institutions so that you can call and talk with those places about what they've done with that, uh, with that volunteer service and how they how they interacted with children. If there's any kind of concerns or red flags. There's also uh, a a way to maybe limit. Uh, when someone can serve in the children's and youth ministry, maybe a six-month rule where they have to be a part of the church in some way for at least six months just so you can get to know them and understand more about their background. Um, There's also the ability to what we would call benchmark in the legal world, which is go to the public school system in your area and find out what do they do as far as preventing abuse, uh, how do they screen and select people that work with children and youth and say, okay, can we at least maintain those standards so that um, we can show that we, we not only investigated what the community standard of care was, but we, we tried to meet it ourselves.
0: So, so let me take you back. There's so many questions that, that come to my mind as you're talking about this. Uh, I, I suppose the first is, what resources does a small church or any church have, and what, what do, does your organization provide Uh, that might be helpful for them?
1: Well, for Christianity Today's Church Law and Tax, we actually have a number of resources that serve in this area. We do a training program called Reducing the Risk that was created by Attorney Richard Hammer, our co-founder and senior editor, and which created this program to help churches do training on a regular basis in a very economical way and in a very volunteer-friendly way, meaning it can be done in a half-day or one-day session, um, and it basically covers all the screening selection and supervision tactics and approaches that should be taken for the church. Um, So that's uh, Reducing the Risk, that's a DVD, it's also available online, it's a streaming program. Um, We also have a number of books that help boards figure out how to come up with their policies and protocols that they want to make sure they set at at the board level. Um, and help board members talk through this issue. Um, we also have um, some ancillary resources like a download that helps churches understand if they become aware of a, uh, of an abuse allegation they may have a, a mandated reporting duty to notify local authorities about that situation and so our resource talks through those those types of laws and what what kinds of responsibilities might exist for a pastor or for others on staff, or even in some cases in a volunteer capacity as well. Uh, I would also encourage churches to reach out to their insurance agent. Uh, Oftentimes they can be helpful and and provide resources that relate to this. And of course, local counsel, local legal counsel um, can can be helpful as well.
0: You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus. I'm Rich Baker of the law firm of Malkin Baker. If you're just tuning in, make sure to visit mauckbaker.com to hear the rest of this interview. You can also subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter and follow up on Facebook and Twitter for legal updates with a biblical perspective. Today we're speaking with Matt Branagh of Christianity Today's Church Law and Tax, and we've been talking about sexual abuse in the church and, and what can be done about it. So a question comes up when you're talking about that, and I will make sure our listeners hear more how to get those resources, because they really, really are essential. Um, What do you do with uh, screening and and working with youth who are actually being part of the youth ministry? Say they're in the nursery, and they're uh, children of members of the Church. What kinds of suggestions do you have uh, in that situation?
1: Right, right. That's a great question, Rich. and. You know, one of the other steps I would just mention here that are low or no cost in some instances are, you know, criminal background checks or research through a national sex offender registry. You can run checks of all the people that are going to serve in your church um, to see, you know, what kind of red flags may surface by by uh, by virtue of just running their names through that system. So that that's kind of a low or no cost way. But your question here sort of runs counter to that because you may not be able to find much about maybe a, a minor who has had some kind of issue that's surfaced and maybe you know, their, their, their conduct is sealed by a court and, and you don't have any way of knowing for sure what their background exactly involves. And in those instances, what we, we try to recommend are a couple of things. One is uh, just a standard best practice in general is what we call it two adult rule where um, no uh, child is left alone with one adult, and the same would be true here if it's a a minor that's serving like a teenager, that they would not be left alone with any one child at any given time. So the two adult rule can help mitigate that problem. Um, And then also uh, oftentimes teenagers, they've been involved in other service organizations and have volunteered in other places. And so again, institutional references can play a helpful role in trying to get a better idea about that person and their background. And so, um, you know, requesting those kinds of uh, contact points and then doing that due diligence and contacting that institution to find out if there's any red flags is another way to try and again, help maybe mitigate the the risk. The challenge of course is you can never fully create a bulletproof situation. You know, risk can never be completely eliminated in any situation or circumstance, including this one. Uh, what you're trying to do is minimize the risk. Well,
0: I, from a, a legal point of view, what you're trying to do is is reasonably approach the situation and take, you know, what what would be reasonable, in order to be protecting your congregation, your children, etc. Um, so let me change the focus for a little bit. Uh, in the remaining time, an incident has happened. What do you suggest? What What do you do?
1: That's obviously a very difficult question, Um, and it's a question church leaders should be thinking about well before it ever arises. And so the first step is, before there's ever a problem, you as a church pastor or as a church board member need to have a policy in place about how to address an allegation if it arises. What are you going to do? Who are you going to contact? What's the process? What's the protocol? There's any number of steps involved with that. And you need to have those things mapped out ahead of time, because the last thing you want to do is be figuring that out on the fly. Once you become aware of a situation, uh, the clock starts ticking uh, on any number of levels for any number of reasons. And so you can't spend time figuring out your process when the problem has already arisen.
0: When you mention that, there are just two things that I'm thinking. Um, Number one, there are a lot of timelines that the law actually requires for reporting, and they're very short. And so if you haven't worked it out beforehand, you're going to find you're in trouble. And I think the second one is there's an institutional hesitation to report things. And if you haven't worked it out beforehand, those will probably play in.
1: That's right. There'll be a lot of discussion and even debate about what to do, and that will that will create delays in timing. And like you say, child abuse reporting laws often mandate the report to be made within sometimes as little as 24 or 48 hours.
0: That's exactly right. Matt, thank you for speaking with us today. How can people learn more about church law and tax and the issues we spoke about today?
1: Rich, it's been a blessing to be here. Thank you for having me. You can find us at churchlawandtax.com you can find us also at churchlawandtaxstore.com. We also have a Facebook page uh, that's just labeled churchlawandtax over on Facebook.
0: If you have a legal need or a question and want the perspective of a local Christian attorney, contact us at Mauk and Baker. You can reach us at 312-726-1243 or at maukbaker.com That's M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com. Visit our website and subscribe to our Religious Liberty newsletter with legal updates or call us and mention Lawyers for Jesus for a free consultation. 312-726-1243. Thanks for listening. I'm Rich Baker, attorney at Malkin Baker, and this is Lawyers for Jesus.
1: To serve somebody, yes, indeed, you're gonna have to serve somebody.